So this Saturday, um, we are having uh, what I've been calling our decluttering retreat as we head into Lent. And we're taking up this rallying cry to declutter not only physically here at the church, but also spiritually um, as well. And so this past week, Troy, um, who's our, our sexton, um, he's planning on leading a group that's going to paint um, in the rectory building. And so he asked me, so like, what color do you want to paint the church? And I felt like for this time around, we should just give the whole first floor over there just a fresh coat of white paint. So he came back from the hardware store with a bunch of these paint strips for me to choose from. And I was paralyzed. Why? Because if you've ever, if you've ever tried to pick a paint color, there are so many different shades of white. There was white. Super white, simply white, cloud white, Oxford white, atrium white, china white, alabaster white, white heron, white diamond, chantilly lace, Tibetan jasmine, and on and on and on. I was thinking, I feel sorry for the person at Benjamin Moore who has to think of paint color names because he's like, what else is white? I can't think of anything else. So in case you're wondering, I chose dove white, which is supposed to be this very luminous white. So anyways, so... Um, there's this professor named um, Barry Schwartz, and he's got this great TED talk on the paradox of choice. And he talks about have, how having this infinite number of choices, far from being this great liberating, liberating thing, actually ends up having a negative impact on our mental health. And in societies like ours, where there are like too many choices, these societies experience a higher rate of depression. That we're more unhappy. We experience more anxiety because we're afraid that we're going to make the wrong choice. And then after we finally make a decision, we're dissatisfied because we think maybe there was something even better out there. And that applies to anything from paint colors to marriage partners. So there's a goodness that's present when you have limited choices. So in our Deuteronomy reading for today, um, we have Moses here who's led the people of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt. He shepherded, the, shepherded them through the wilderness for 40 years. And these words in Deuteronomy are his last words to his people. And it's his, his last chance to say what is on his heart to them. And as he sums up this whole history and all that's happened, he presents them at the end with this clear choice. And he says, as Catherine read for us, I am setting before you today life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children might live. And we might ask that question, well, why would anybody choose death? And why wouldn't they choose life? Like in this choice that he's setting before you, it's another way of talking about repentance, and when we hear that word repent, we automatically think of that, that preacher on the subway who's telling everybody to repent or they're going to hell. But that's actually not the biblical image of repentance. Like I, I love how in the Greek, that word for repentance is metanoia. And it literally means to change your mind, to change your direction, to make a choice. It's like doing a 180. And when it comes to repentance, the Bible says, we're not talking about the choice between something good and something just a little bit better. We're not talking about something bad, but maybe it's like sort of okay too. Like when God talks about repentance, he's talking about a choice between life and death, 
Life with a capital L and death with a capital D. And life, Scripture tells us, and what it says in the Old Testament, it's a covenant relationship with the living God. So Moses says in Deuteronomy 30, for the Lord is your life. And that means that all that God is, all that God is about, all that flows out of God, God's character, God's purposes, God's ways. Jesus in, prayed in, in John 17. He says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's life, according to Scripture. And death on the other hand, is described in Deuteronomy 29, just right before our passage today, and it says about the people that they went off and worshipped other gods, gods they did not know. And saying that death is being in this covenant relationship with these other gods that lead to death. It's something false. It's a lie. It's something that promises life, but in the end is a dead end. And death is when we bow down and worship. In other words, we put our hope in, our security in, our trust in something other than God who is our life. And Moses here is saying, don't be fooled. Don't choose this dead end when life is being offered to you. So I was thinking about, you know, just how does this play out in my own life? And um, I need you to hang with, hang with me here for a second as I share this. The way it plays out in my life is fear of conflict. Anybody else fear conflict here? <laughs> Just two of us, all right. So, um, so in my family, um, it was peace at all costs. We almost never had conflict. And when we did, my, when my sisters and I were young, and we would start fighting, my father, who some of you met the other week, he would come into our room with his arms stretched out like this, and he would literally say, girls, peace, peace. It was like Jesus coming into your room. He was just saying peace. And he would do that. And essentially in our young minds, what that taught us is that it's not okay to be mad. It's not okay to be angry. And so we would just shove our feelings down and be, quote-unquote, at peace with one another. And just we grew up, you know, my sisters and I were all like this. It's like, keep the peace at all costs. Don't stir up the pot. You know, sweep things under the rug and pretend like everything's okay. And you deal with it, you know, don't, you don't want to mess up any relationships. And you can move through life for a pretty long time that way, and it has served me well until I became a priest. Actually, I take that back, until I got married. <laughs> so first it was until I got married, and then it was, when I, it was around the same time. So to my chagrin, what I learned is that both in marriage as well as in the church, you cannot work in a church and not have conflict. It's impossible. And conflict is not a bad thing, as you all know. It's actually natural and normal and good and healthy. In fact, conflict is just a reality if you're going to live your life in relationship with people and not just be a hermit by yourself out in the desert. Now, out of all the things that a person could do, you would think to yourself, well, Christine, avoiding conflict, it's not so bad. It's not like you're killing people. It's not like you're stealing from them. And so I can justify avoiding conflict, and I do all the time. Like, what's the big deal? It's fine. But here's the thing. If you want to love like Jesus loves, 
all implies if I want to love like Jesus loves, I have to be willing to engage in conflict because engaging in conflict well and having hard conversations well is one of the most loving things that I can learn how to do. When I look back on the mistakes that I've made in my, just in my life and as a priest, I can always, always tie it back to me avoiding conflict and having hard conversations because I was afraid. I was afraid of people. I was afraid of stirring the pot, afraid of broken relationship. And it's fear driving me instead of love. And when fear controls you and controls your behavior, that is an idol that leads to death, to squelching health and life and love. And for me, it's not about choosing conflict just to have conflict, for conflict's sake. It's choosing conflict for love's sake. It's saying, because I love you, let's talk. Let's be honest with each other. Let's put it all out there. And for me, in this season of life, that's what it means to choose life over death. And every single time, every single time that I have chosen to have that hard conversation, it's been hard, it's been painful, sometimes it's excruciating, but it has always eventually and sometimes immediately led to life for me, for the other person, and for the community. So that's me. What is that thing for you. You know, we don't often think about our lives and our choices in such a stark way most of the time, right? Like 10 years ago, I would have not thought to myself that avoiding conflict leads to death until I started experiencing avoiding conflict leading to death. And it was like scales falling off of my eyes. And one of the things that I love the most about AA is that it's simple. I'm Christine and I'm an alcoholic. It's just simple. And when you choose to walk through the door of an AA meeting, you are saying, I need help. I have a problem, and it's killing me, sometimes literally. And there's something just so clarifying about that, right? I was talking to one of the women at Chelsea Mornings the other day and just how transformative it's been for her. Chelsea Mornings, for those of you who don't know, is the AA group that meets here at St. Peter's. And she was telling me, there are times when I talk with my friends who aren't alcoholics, and I'm like, don't you have anything that you're addicted to? And she says that kind of half-jokingly, because, just because she wants them to come to this meeting in which she's experienced so much transform, transformation. Isn't there anything you're addicted to? And we got into this whole conversation about how most of the world actually walks around addicted to things that lead to death, but they're more socially acceptable than alcoholism. You know, maybe it's success. Maybe it's the internet. Maybe it's the approval of other people. And for me, it was avoiding conflict and being liked. So what is it for you? What is that thing that controls you and drives your behavior? Well, that question is the whole purpose of Lent. Lent is about repentance. It's asking God, God, where have I been choosing death? And how are you calling me to turn towards you and to choose life? And we have a genuine choice when it comes to repentance, just like the Israelites did. You know, we're not stuck. So in verse 11 in Deuteronomy 30, it says, Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. 
nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart so that you might obey it. There's actually a, a, a post-cross New Testament version of this in Paul's letter to the Romans where Paul is contrasting the righteousness that comes by works and our striving and the righteousness that comes by faith. And he, comes, he refers back to this passage in Deuteronomy, and he says, the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down for me, or who will descend to the deep, that is who's going to bring up Christ from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believed and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will be saved. And what he's saying here is that what, what makes the call to repentance, to choose life, to make it accessible to us, it's filled in this glorious way, finally and fully in Jesus, not in even our capacity to live this perfect life, but it's in Jesus. And Jesus says in John 10, he says that I have come that they might have what? Life. I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. You know, if he were speaking in, in those Old Testament times, he might have said, I have come that they might choose life and have it to the full. And the message today is that Jesus is our life. And God says that that opportunity to choose life, it's not out of your reach. It's not unattainable. It's right here, right now. It's near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart through the person of Jesus. We can't save ourselves from death. We can't do it in our own strength. As AA says, step one, we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And step three, we made a decision. In other words, we made a choice to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Just in a minute, I'm going to give us a chance to just pause and reflect, to ask ourselves that question. Where have I been choosing death? And how might God be calling me to choose life? And I want to encourage you today as we come forward in the Eucharist, not to just blindly eat and drink the bread and the wine, as you might normally do, but to say yes to the Lord and saying, God, today I choose you. I choose life. So I just invite you to bow your heads with me for a moment. And let's just pause in the silence and ask God that question. Where are you calling me to say no to death and to say yes to your life right now? Today I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him 
for he is your life. Amen.